Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Welcome, everybody. Today, I will be speaking with Anand Singh. Um, so, Anand, uh, I mean, I'm looking at your um, at the, the the brief bio that was prepared for me, and I see that you've been in in the banking industry since the year 2000. First as an engineer, then as a group manager. Uh, I, I see that you moved to Target at some point. I'm not sure if that was post-breach or not. Um, and I believe after Target, that's where you landed your first CISO role uh, in, in United Health Group. Um, and, and I see that you moved back to the FinTech uh, or maybe, the, I'm not sure if it's considered the FinTech or not, it's the loan space. And I see that you're also a public speaker. And right now, uh, as I understand it, you're the SVP and CISO of Alchemy Technology. Um, but, you know, maybe that's the perfect point where you can step in and properly introduce yourself and give our audience a bit of background. Absolutely, Ben. Uh, thank you for that question. Um, I do want to talk briefly about why I got into security. I think that's where... Um, uh, the, my journey started uh, in the cybersecurity business. Uh, I was a student at Purdue University doing my master's in computer science, and uh, I had the opportunity to study under the tutelage of um, Eugene Spafford there. He, he is the, uh, the dean of uh, almost uh, cybersecurity education in the U.S., and he is the one who uh, had a significant influence on me and my desire to uh, make a substantial amount of difference in the cybersecurity space. Uh, in addition to my master's at Purdue, I also have a PhD in computer science from University of Minnesota. So it becomes very interesting when Purdue and uh, uh, University of Minnesota Golden Gophers play with each other because I don't know which team to support uh, in a circumstance like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but enough of my uh, educational career. In addition to that, I have uh, been, uh, as you rightly noted, in the cybersecurity business for a long time. Uh, I would say that it has not been all about cybersecurity though, because I feel that one of the things that makes for a great CISO is the fact that you have done some other things in technology besides just security. So over my career, I have spanned uh, other technologies uh, and other organizations. Uh, for example, I led mobility development for United Health Group for a while, and I did quite a few things in target cooperation that were not related to security. So um, generally, you covered the trajectory of my career. Um, I started, uh, initial part of my career was at Cray Research. Uh, I worked on supercomputing and uh, at Cray, and that was always a passion of mine. Uh, I was at Parametric Technology Corporation, actually a small company called Windchill, which was acquired by Parametric Technology Corporation. Uh, And then I have been in uh, US Bank uh, and uh, some other Fortune 10, Fortune 20, all the way up to very small and medium-sized organizations. 
it has been a very interesting ride for sure. And uh, I uh, feel very blessed that I got an opportunity to uh, be in a space that I love and work for companies that have made a tremendous amount of difference to the uh, country and to the world and to me. Yeah, and thank you for that. Uh, but is it fair to assume that since the year 2010, you're mostly focused uh, on security, fun operating as a CISO? Uh, I think that that's a correct assumption. I think uh, since 2010, a small portion of my responsibilities have focused on uh, mobility development, uh, specifically at United Health Group. But other than that, it has been mostly focused on cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe and maybe we can talk a bit about how those two domains play together. Um, I, I'm sure there are a, a lot of uh, like you know other areas where you know your uh, CISO expertise contributed to your development expertise and vice versa. Maybe we can touch about that a bit. Um, great, great, and so. Thank you again for that. Uh, did you just want to, and again, this podcast is about you. Uh, I'm here to talk to you. I'm not too interested about your, uh, you know, your various companies that you, you used to work for. But did you just want to, like, give a brief introduction about the current company that you're employed in, Alchemy Technology, just, you know, to explain to the listeners what it is that you that you guys are doing there? Absolutely. Um, so I've been with Alchemy Technology for a few years now. And um, uh, as a company, we are focused on uh, making the digital banking experience for end users as seamless as possible. Uh, as you can imagine, uh, some of the largest banks and um, uh, financial institutions have a huge amount of development staff and expertise associated with them. But many mid-sized, smaller, and perhaps even some large banks and credit unions, they don't have the uh, technical uh, expertise within their organization to offer uh, the uh, digital banking services to their end users um, uh, that kind of helps them compete with some of the biggest names in the industry. So uh, that's where we come in, a fully SaaS and cloud-hosted platform. And uh, we uh, help our uh, banks and credit unions provide digital banking services uh, to their end users uh, so that they can compete with uh, other uh, FIs that have that expertise in-house. So that's kind of our name to uh, fame uh, in today's world. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, and with that, uh, let's let's start uh, our brief interview. I always like to ask a couple of personal questions just to you know let the audience know a bit more about you. Can you share uh, anything about your marital status and your favorite drink? Absolutely. So um, I have been married for uh, 20 plus years at this point of time, um, Ben, and uh, it has been an excellent ride. I'm glad to have a partner who is uh, not just a partner, but also a partner in crime. Uh, she has been a big source, a big inspiration, and uh, we have been... Um, uh, we have been enjoying each other's company for a couple of decades now. So uh, again, uh, counting my blessings, that, that's another big one. Uh, in terms of my favorite drink, Ben, um, I love anything that has any uh, flavor of mango in it. I grew up in India and I love mangoes. So 
uh, a mangorita is perfectly fine by me. If it is non-alcoholic, uh, any mango drink, uh, mango essence drink, uh, I love enjoying and partaking in that. Okay, thank you. Actually, a friend of mine recently told me that in India, you have, I think he said 20,000 breeds of mango. Is that correct? Or maybe 10,000? That, that's absolutely correct. And I actually grew up uh, eating mangoes. So um, my grandfather, uh, he was a farmer and he had a um, mango uh, garden. And so uh, some of the sweetest, best mangoes, um, we would just go out there. We ate mangoes for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So uh, it was just, uh, and anything that was left over, the juice was squeezed out and then dried up so that people can consume for rest of the year. So yeah. you can just imagine mango is such an essential part of Indian culture. Um, uh, again, um, uh, just uh, any, any, anything with mango in it, um, you can have me, um, you can have call me anywhere to come, come by and enjoy and party. <laughs> part of that experience. But, uh, I, I love mangoes as well. And I'm not sure how it is in Texas, but in California, we have great mangoes. In Israel, we used to have good mangoes as well, but the mangoes here are better. The best I've had were in Thailand. I've never been to India though, but in Thailand, I had the best mangoes. Okay. Um, so, and I know you've already mentioned like one of your mentors, which is like one of my questions down the road, but I wanted to ask, but I, I, I'm sorry, I wanted to, to start by asking you uh, about your, the beginning of your career. Is there one thing you wish you'd known when, when you began your career? Yeah, I think, um, and, and I think this, this I gladly share with any team member who is young in their career that joins my team and organization. Um, I think it's very important to keep the business construct in mind, no matter what you do. I think one of the biggest uh, flaws or, or uh, issues that people have when they start their new jobs is they are so focused on doing their specific portion of the responsibility for, a, for an enterprise that they don't spend enough time learning more about the business and how their work is impacting the business. In the end, when you are down the road in your career, your advancement would be mostly predicated by how effectively you contributed the success of the business that you are a part of. And to be able to contribute to that success, you need to be able to understand and articulate clearly what that business is. Who are some of the key stakeholders? How is your sliver of work driving the success of that business? So in my mind, that's a fundamental piece of advice that I would share with anyone who is young in their careers. Uh, I have made that mistake where I was too focused on my specific sliver of responsibility. And uh, that was my uh, thing day in and day out. Uh, but uh, hindsight is 2020. And I would say that some of the, uh, I stumbled upon it later in my career and I would have been, uh, uh, probably in a better place if I had started that from the get-go. Okay, let me try to challenge you about this. Um, so let's let's consider a young professional. Let's say they are, you know, uh, holding a SOC analyst position. Okay, what would like what would your um, recommendation to them would be in you know really making this practical, this advice practical? 
Yeah, I think that's a great question. So let's say that you are uh, going back to one of my previous uh, organizations. Let's say that you are in the healthcare business. Now, the type of issues that cybersecurity issues that are pervasive in the healthcare business are predominantly focused on PHI, your personal health information. So uh, when you are uh, working for a healthcare business and you understand, yeah, this, who are the payers, for example, right? Payers meaning people who are like the insurance providers. Uh, who are the providers, meaning the doctors that you go see, uh, and see, right? Uh, so if you understand the terminology like payer, provider, and as a, when you are sitting as a SOC analyst and you are looking at the reports, let's say you, you see a, uh, an attempt to access PHI information. Now, uh, you can, if you have to work with the business on resolution of that issue, you can go and talk to appropriate parts of that business and you will be having some conversations about yeah, this was the payer data and um, this is the system uh, from which it is coming out of. Uh, we need to address the PHI element of that payer data, right? Think about how you, uh, the power increases in that construct. Instead of saying, let's, let's solve this field in this database, you are speaking in terms of business that the business stakeholder is going to understand. And consequently, you have increased their ability to address the problem. And most importantly, uh, what you have done is you have given them the accountability to address the problem by virtue of how well you explained it to them. So hopefully that example yep. uh, illustrates my point there. Yes, yes, I think it does perfectly. Uh, what would you consider your biggest failure throughout your career, if there even such a thing for you? Yeah, I think um, uh, the... I would say that most people uh, have, uh, regardless of the end state that they achieve in their careers, have probably um, worked through uh, some big challenges in their uh, career to get there. And I am not going to be any different in a scenario or a circumstance like that. Uh, I think um, some of my biggest challenges have been getting into an organization as a leader of the cybersecurity discipline and finding out that the enterprise support for cybersecurity does not exist in that organization. Uh, so, so that has been a huge challenge. And I would say that it's a common challenge encountered by many CISOs. Uh, to be clear, I'm not referencing Alchemy. Alchemy has been highly supportive of uh, the uh, cybersecurity program, and I'm pretty proud of what we have built here. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, uh, in, in a couple of my previous organizations, making sure that the cybersecurity was a priority of the company was not there to begin with. And so there was a significant uphill climb to make sure that, uh, that, um, uh, that the company understood the primacy of cybersecurity in the business that they were in. Yeah. I would say this though that, I would say this though that, I think that I saw that, always saw something like that as an opportunity. Uh, an opportunity in the sense that if I, as a cybersecurity leader of that enterprise, cannot help the company understand how critical a function it is, then it's a failure on my part, number one. And number two, if I can achieve that, if I can accomplish that specific objective, then that's a significant propellant for my career as well. 
So that's the way I, instead of looking at that as a challenge, I've always looked at something like that as an opportunity. This is my opportunity to make a cybersecurity organization that is uh, in my vision of what a true cybersecurity organization looks like. And uh, in a way, something like this can be advantageous because then you are working off of a clean slate rather than working from a legacy setup that may be really hard to mold. Mm -hmm. So if I get you correctly, uh, and I think I've, I mean, I've seen it in a couple of other organizations as well. Correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I understand is like some organizations might want to hire a CISO just for the purpose of hiring a CISO without really need understanding or wanting to put in the extra resources to actually create an information security organization. They just want to like to have a CISO just for the fact that, you know, to appease their whatever business partners, investors, customers, and whatnot. Did, did I get that correctly or? I think, I think probably the way I would rephrase that Ben is that some organizations don't know any better. And because they don't know any better, they are do, trying to do the best that they can by trying to bring on a CISO, but they are putting boundaries around that function in a way that is not driving the success of that CISO. So yeah, I think, I think yeah. um, uh, if, 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 if uh, we can get one outcome of this podcast, what I would suggest is for anyone who is listening and who is in a position to influence cybersecurity practice in their organization, that uh, it is a really critical function. Uh, it drives the success of your business. And we'll talk about that a little bit down the road, I guess, Ben, in this podcast too, but in, in the ways in which it can drive the success. But I would suggest think about how, don't think about security as a cost center. Think about it as a business advantage that can help drive the success of your business. And having touched on this big challenge that we just discussed, what would you say uh, your biggest accomplishment was? I think the, the, in a situation like this, I think being able to influence the enterprise for the right security item is really critical. And in a situation like this, I would say that has been the biggest accomplishment. Sometimes it takes a little bit of a time because there is a tremendous amount of uh, stakeholder building and partnerships and funding and staffing and other considerations that come into play. But I, I would say that the biggest accomplishment has been that uh, turning the story of information security 180 degrees, sometimes it can take a couple of years to make that happen uh, because of the nature of the beast and the fact that Talent is a huge shortage in cybersecurity industry. So you gotta, uh, you gotta um, uh, build that over time in a very thoughtful way. Um, but I would say that uh, that has been a significant outcome of um, uh, being able to mold the enterprise for the right cybersecurity behavior has been uh, one of the biggest accomplishments of my career. I would throw one more in the mix here, um, Ben, and I think this is an important one. If you look at the cybersecurity industry, sometimes the focus is only, when it comes to talent, sometimes the focus is only on people who have the experience already. And one of the things that I have done throughout my career is 
I have prioritized potential over experience as much as possible because I feel that if you have the potential, uh, you will do the right things or you will learn rapidly and get up to that place where you need to be at. But if it is the experience about one single tool or one single technology, over time it becomes a stale because security industry changes so fast. Think about the tools that we used to use two years or three years ago then. Uh, probably very few of them are still operational or still meaningful or still relevant in today's world. Think about the cloud construct and all the tsunami of tools coming out in the cloud construct, right? Uh, in, in security, the most important skill is the ability to learn and the ability to move rapidly. And I have always put a premium on that. One of the things that I have done to uh, help advance the cybersecurity industry is quite a few of my folks over the years have come as direct hires from colleges and universities. I find, I find that to be very meaningful, both for people who have been in my team for a very long time, as well as for the young individuals who are joining my team, because it's, it, it leads to a very symbiotic relationship between those individuals and the more experienced uh, people who are part of the team. The experienced folks get a chance to groom, mentor, and coach these new individuals. The new individuals get a chance to uh, rapidly rise in the spectrum of the information security world. And uh, the win-win in all of this is, in addition to, as if that were not sufficient, uh, I'm also helping uh, beef up the cybersecurity talent shortage in the, in the country, which is, which is almost pervasive. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a great cause. And, you know, I think everybody has uh, experienced uh, nowadays the shortage in cybersecurity, not only in the U.S. markets, but mostly, I would say. Um, and, and, you know, I think um, your career has been unique, I would say, but I've, I've spoken to a lot of CISOs recently and, you know, met a lot of interesting individuals. Some CISOs have an, like an IT background, other, others have like development and engineering backgrounds. If, if a young professional nowadays that listens to our podcast, you know, would ask themselves, what, what do I need to do next if I want to at some point become that CISO? What would your advice be to them? Yeah, I think, um, and my advice may slightly differ from your previous speakers, Ben, because I'm biased that way. <laughs> but I would say that a deep technical skill is a huge plus and perhaps as much of a plus as uh, almost a must-have or a necessary uh, thing for a good CISO. I think if I think you have deep technical skills and you combine that with uh, some uh, professional polish and good speaking skills, uh, you are going to be unstoppable. Uh, but the harder part in the spectrum, in my opinion, is not the deep, is not the personality side of it. You can mold that with some good mentors and some good coaches. I think the harder part is the deep tech side of it, which requires a very deep passion uh, and uh, uh, the ability to form some good judgments uh, and it requires some years of experience in your career before you get there. So to me, um, uh, as I said, I'm going to be slightly divergent and, and perhaps uh, some others think that uh, uh, the business savvy is more important. In my opinion, the tech savvy is extremely important and uh, you, particularly because of the cloudification of the world, the sassification of the world, uh, and your ability to speak that lingo, your ability to understand all the layers, your ability to influence judgment across all of those layers, 
all of those are going to be the uh, things that propel you. So long and short of it, Ben, is that, yeah, uh, the, the deep tech skills, primary, uh, business savvy, you can acquire over time. Okay. Thank you. Uh, and actually, I mean, it wasn't as divergent as you would expect. Uh, I, I did um, hear a, a few uh, very similar answers to that. Uh, it really depends on your background, I, I think. Um, I, I agree. <laughs> yeah. I think my, my background reflects my bias. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and, you know, being uh, like a CISO, you know, you could position this role or this office under all kinds of other, you know, positions in, in, in a company. But specifically, what would you, what do you feel about the role of a CISO that's actually a part of the IT organizations? Organization, sorry. Yeah, I, I, I really do feel that uh, CISO independence is a really important construct of a successful cybersecurity organization. Uh, over the years, I have worked, I have had the uh, opportunity to work on both sides of the spectrum. I've been a part of the uh, IT organization and I have been a part of the uh, compliance and or uh, general counsel's office or things of that nature over the years. Uh, what I would say is that uh, if, no matter how hard you work, when you are a part of the IT organization, it's hard to keep yourself separate from the success of the work that is uh, required to happen to drive uh, incentivization of the IT organization. If you think about it, at the end of the year, the IT organization gets measured on what was delivered, how fast this was delivered, timeliness of delivery, things of that nature. Whereas security can be in the way of being able to accomplish some of that. So being in the same organization, security can come under pressure uh, to uh, support the goals of the rest of the IT organization and I don't think that's a good place to be at. Uh, I do feel that uh, th there, is, there is a couple important uh, thoughts to how that independence can be achieved. I do feel that being a part of uh, the C-suite separate from the IT organization is one key factor uh, in being able to achieve that independence and consequently the right uh, balance of security and uh, business success. I think the second factor is uh, the CISO should be empowered to have a presence before the board. They should have an indirect reporting responsibility to the board. Uh, and that goes long ways in establishing the stature of the CISO uh, to a level that is required to move the organization. And then I would say the third and the last factor, because there is a need for collaboration between CISO and other stakeholders across the company. So the third and last factor that I would throw in the mix here is uh, uh, I have used uh, uh, the steering committees inside of the organization to achieve some of that collaboration that may be lost if CISO is not a part of the IT organization. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's a great response and a very um, uh, detailed analysis, I would say, about like the, the problematics of, the, of, of being a part of the IT. Thank you for that. And, and I know you mentioned before that, you know, you will take potential level over experience, uh, you know, because of the fact that basically everybody need, need, need to be a, a self-learner in, in our field. 
for you, what were the best resources that have helped you along the way then? I think the, the, the most important thing that I would say is the curiosity level for a security professional needs to be at the insane level. Uh, you should be insanely curious. And once you have that, then I would say, come a step down. And I, I, here are some resources that I have in mind. So uh, the, and it's a combination of all of the above. So first, uh, I would say podcasts, like what we are doing. Uh, it's a great way to uh, continue to immerse yourself in the cybersecurity discipline. The second big thing I would say in cybersecurity spaces, uh, Twitter feeds. I am, I would say that nowadays about maybe 50 to 60% of all that I learn every day comes from a good selection of uh, Twitter uh, uh, feeds that I have coming to me. And um, I'm really current and really informed as a result of that. The third thing I would say here is that um, uh, at, at, in the early part of the career, it is different. In the latter part of the career, it is different. At my stage, I learned quite a bit from my peers because they are experiencing many similar issues and problems and situations. Sometimes their issues can be a forewarning to me about what I need to think about and manage. So having a good uh, peer network is uh, extremely essential. Uh, I would say find some time to spend at least maybe four hours a month with someone who is a peer of yours and is not in your organization. It could be security, it could be something else, but find three to four, do a lunch, just catch up. I think that goes long ways in just you understanding what is happening around you. Uh, I do love watching uh, uh, Mr. Robot. So I would say that uh, it has um, uh, some of the darkness of the world that uh, uh, pervades cybersecurity. Um, uh, I, I developed some of my in, uh, insights through uh, video media like that. And then lastly, some good, good books are uh, always helpful. Um, Eugene Kim is a good writer and uh, I have liked his books. Uh, I have loved uh, uh, some of the, um, uh, uh, I continue to read Brian Krebs. His, his information is at a high level, but it's still pretty meaningful about what is happening in the industry. Uh, so net net of it is, I think it's a lot of little resources that come together to keep me informed about things. Um, I'm gonna say one more thing. This may be controversial, but some of your audience may disagree with me on this. But I would say I learn a ton when I speak to vendors. Um, I ask a ton of questions. Sometimes I have the pleasure of meeting the founders who are very passionate about the companies that they have built. And I learn a ton from those discussions, even regardless of whether the business relationship materialized or not, I walk away with a much better appreciation because those guys have thought things to such a level that uh, as a user of the technology, I don't get to see. So I love those opportunities as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, th thank you. Um, talking about the industry a bit more, is there any uh, common one common myth or a few common myths that you wanted to debunk? Um, I think the, the yeah, the, the myth that I want to debunk is that Cybersecurity guys are sitting in a basement someplace in complete dark, um, uh, 
uh, with black screens um, in dark mode and uh, I actually know a few people that that do that, but yeah, please go on. <laughs> Believe it or not, cybersecurity guys like to have some fun too. They have families and they are uh, normal guys who have heavy responsibilities on their shoulders. Um, I'll just throw myself in the mix. Uh, outside of doing what I do, I love to ride a motorcycle and... Um, uh, I, every year I try to learn a new skill. So right now I'm in the midst of uh, learning Taekwondo. Uh, although every time I go to Taekwondo, I just regret going there because my body hurts like crazy after that. <laughs> yeah. So basically yeah. you go to Taekwondo to get beat up, right? Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Get, get beat up and to, to, uh, perpetuate the stereotype that the security guys love pain. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Can you share a bit about, uh, and again, this is not specifically about your company, uh, but can you share, like in general, in your opinion, what are the main concerns that CISOs nowadays have? I think the, the um, uh, several factors in play right now. I think the, 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 if you look at the way the industry is evolving, I think the future is going to be very different than the past. It is going to be radically different than the past. So I'm not going to mention your standard suspects that, that everyone knows about. I'm going to talk about the evolution of a feature which will be so different than today that we got to start prepping for that future now. So if you think about the, the level of automation that is being achieved now, um, uh, ben, and the kind of possibilities that it introduces from a cybersecurity perspective, right? Think about self-driving cars, for example. Yeah. Think about like uh, people, uh, and this has actually happened where attackers can get into the car's operating system and they can manipulate the cars, right? Uh, think about a future where uh, identity is going to be completely meaningless because everyone will have access to everyone else's identities at some point of time if the uh, current scenarios continue to play out, right? That is going to be a very significant burden to manage in that identity-less world as to how you prove your identity, right? Think about the, 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 the depth of that statement where someone could emulate your identity, Ben, and yet you have to prove your identity to get into your systems, right? How do you solve that conundrum? Mm -hmm. so, um, so, so I think about uh, that situation a lot. Uh, I also think about uh, like some of the scenarios that are starting to play out before us where uh, there is significant privatization of what used to be a government sector responsibility. Like think about the space exploration and all the work that is happening in a space. Now I would say NASA has been left far behind in the advances of uh, Bezos and Musk and uh, the Virgin Atlantic, uh, all of these guys, right? So, so uh, who is taking care of the uh, significance of intellectual property in scenarios like that. So some of those things are significant. I think those are future items. Perhaps some of those are long future items, but some of that automation, that independence, that uh, internetization of how we live our life, the fact that I can probably raise the temperature of your home by um, uh, going through your uh, internet of things devices sitting right here in uh, Texas, right? Things of that nature. I think some of those are really uh, keeping me up at night these days. And 
uh, I, I really do feel that uh, the future of cybersecurity is very different than the current of cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Um, and and would you say these are the areas that CISOs nowadays are most focused on, or or is that like something that you consider to be like a future um, problem? I think the the CISOs are like uh, by the very nature of the jobs that CISOs carry is the is the problem of the day that achieves prominence, right? So uh, it is not. Uh, I would say that probably they are if they're thinking about it, it's back of the mind for them. For most CISOs, for some CISOs who are in those industries, it is probably the front of the mind of them. Yeah. Automation, uh, car driving, things of that nature. Probably those guys are thinking about it on a daily basis. Uh, but um, generally speaking, most CISOs are focused on problems of the day or problems of tomorrow. They're not focused on problems of uh, two years from now. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think you partially answered my next uh, couple or even three questions. But uh, (laughs) so like, typically I ask about what are the most important skills CISOs should have? And I think you answered that because you alluded to the fact that, you know, you feel that uh, you need to come with a strong enough technical background because basically, as I understood it, everything else is you can learn. You can be business savvy. You can learn how to talk. You can learn how to present, but you really need that foundation. Am, am I correct in my understanding so far? Yeah, I think you are correct. I think the, the, the only slight tuning that I would make to that, Ben, is that, yeah, you can learn technology too, but not everyone can learn technology. I think there is a certain amount of inherent curiosity that needs to be there. Uh, in the individuals to learn. So I would say that the most is important skill is that desire to learn that inherent curiosity uh, when it comes to technical depth. Uh, if you have that, everything else will come with you. Okay. And and I think, again, you alluded to my next question, but I'm not sure, you know, the answer was clear here, but where, in your opinion, where is the Caesar role going? Yeah, I think the... In my opinion, the CISO role will continue to increase in importance and primacy uh, in all organizations. I think we all know, both you and I know, Ben, that when it comes to the more advanced sectors of economy, perhaps CISO role has the right stature and primacy, right? Think about cloud, think about SaaS, think about uh, some of the um, uh, fintech and health tech and things of that nature. But some of the traditional sectors still struggle with uh, giving CISOs the right level of authority and exposure. Uh, and what I mean by that is think about manufacturing, think about utilities, even though utilities are a significant target these days. Some of the more traditional sectors have lagged behind in giving the right uh, stature to the CISO role. Uh, in my opinion, the way things are headed and the fact that the manufacturing sector is getting impacted, the fact that utility sector is getting impacted, some of those uh, uh, entities or business domains that have lagged behind, they are realizing the criticality of it and they are elevating the CISO role in their organizations as a result of that. So in my, uh, the, the net net of it, Ben, is that I feel that the CISO role is going nowhere but up 
in terms of importance and criticality. And we will continue to see that play out over the next several years. Yeah. And, and you know, I think, and I'd like to your opinion on that. I personally, I think that one of the drivers here is, is regulation because take, for example, what you just mentioned, like critical infrastructures and, you know, the supply chain of the Department of Defense in the U.S. Uh, you know, they recently, like a year ago, they came out with a CMMC, right? With that objective in mind to secure the, the supply chain. Now, this would eventually drive this entire industry up because you have to put more resources. You need to manage the, those uh, security programs internally and whatnot with a, with a clear objective in mind to secure the supply chain. So I would, I would um, argue that regulations in some of these cases help actually, you know, grow the seizure role as well because you have to, I mean, you know, you, you have to position yourself at the same at a similar level to the health industry that, that they've been there for a long time and the fintech space and, and, and the bank and the banking industry and whatnot. Uh, would you would you agree with that um, statement? That, that's great insight, Ben. And I, I agree with that statement. I would say that um, uh, as you were saying, I was thinking about this. If you look at the recent executive orders that have come out from the government, now they're specifying uh, requirements around making sure that some of the government funding is predicated on making sure that you have a, a proper uh, bill of materials for your software code, right? Uh, some of those are being perpetuated. So if you want to make money doing government initiatives and contracts, there is going to be a requirement for you going forward. So so as, as you were thinking, saying it, I was thinking about how right you were because uh, think about NYDFS, think about California privacy yep. laws, think about GDPR. All of these have done nothing but uh, in, uh, but uh, obviously increase the consumer security, but in addition to that, also increase the primacy of the CISO role within organizations. Yes, I agree with that. Uh, and we've spoken a bit about, you know, the um, this not the transition, but the direction this uh, cybersecurity space is going to. Um, I understand that, you know, IoT and um, machine technologies, everything is connected all the time. Like that's, that's in your opinion, that's like where we go next. Uh, would you say that affected or does this affect in, you know, in any way current like plans, current budget planning even? Like, do you see any changes, like any, any changes in changes in trends recently? Yeah, I think uh, that, that's a good question, Ben. And, and I would say that uh, in addition to Internet of Things and some of these um, uh, fundamental changes in the uh, in the in the business construct, uh, one more thing that has helped uh, uh, the situation, I would say, uh, is the pandemic. Uh, I think the pandemic has led to an explosion of cybersecurity events and the and new needs because now everyone is working from home. Uh, in the just even like a couple of years ago, in many organizations, the construct was that you are going to come inside the company and work inside the perimeter of the company, and you are going to be secure as a result of working inside the perimeter of the company. Now, most organizations have transitioned to this remote work model, and so the perimeter, while it's still relevant, is not the primary controlling factor anymore. So that has led to uh, the, the sum total of all of these has been that 
there is more investment in cybersecurity. Uh, the, the case for uh, many CISOs to make the push for additional funding is succeeding because their efforts are seen as supporting the enterprise goals of being able to work safely from home and being able to stay fully productive from home while still keeping the company safe and secure. Yes, there has been a significant uptick in cybersecurity investment as a result of that. And of particular benefit uh, has have been the companies that have pivoted on this remote work environment and have started to support this, uh, some of these fundamental changes. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you for that insight. Um, so personally speaking, what would you consider as uh, innovation in, in our space? Is it more along the lines of like introducing a new product or a new technology, or is it along the lines of uh, introducing new practices or, you know, like monetizing security services within an organization? Yeah, I would, I would break it down into uh, maybe perhaps three parts here then. So the first um, key example of innovation for me is where you can take the drudgery of cybersecurity jobs away from people who are doing it. So uh, uh, the safe automation of cybersecurity function uh, such that if the result is the same every single time in terms of actions that are being conducted, then perhaps that is a big good candidate for automation. So uh, that's kind of my first classification of uh, innovation. What can you do that doesn't require uh, human intervention uh, through automation like Lambda or perhaps a SOAR platform or perhaps a GRC platform, right? So I think that that's, that to me is one uh, category of innovation. Uh, the second category of innovation is how do you ease the path for organizations that are transforming themselves, right? So a uh, key part, not, not for uh, like many companies who are already there, but as traditional companies are migrating to cloud and SaaS and, and think about like, again, going back to like manufacturing or legal firms or um, utilities, et cetera. As they migrate to cloud and SaaS models, uh, how can you make the tooling so straightforward that it is not a huge um, a lift for people who are already doing the legacy cybersecurity function to operate in this net new world? And I would say that there are many companies who are striving for that uh, new model of security where deployment is, is really easy, uh, the outputs are really um, uh, the outputs are really easy for uh, anyone to consume and make a difference uh, without requiring like tons of uh, learning or retransformation of what you have been doing, etc. So I think that to me is my my second. How what is the enabler of traditional employees into this new digital age that we are uh, transforming into? Uh, in the the third key aspect of uh, the, the innovation is uh, the introduction of the net new. Uh, so what I mean by the introduction of the net new is uh, some of the internet of things and stuff that is really, I mean, everyone knows IoT is probably the least protected sector of 
uh, what we do today. And there are companies that are spinning up that are focused just on IoT aspect of things, as an example. So being able to secure that future, and I touched upon this briefly uh, in, uh, earlier in our uh, podcast here, Ben, but uh, the, the uh, being able to secure that future of IoT, being able to secure that future of uh, uh, self-driving cars and things of that nature, uh, any the security tooling and um, is still being built for that. Some of that is going to be uh, a huge innovation in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, I wanted to ask you a couple quick questions about vendors before we wrap this up, this episode today. If you put yourself in the shoes of a vendor, what is it that you would do when looking to engage with a new customer? Okay. Good question. So, so I think the first thing is make sure anyone who is talking to the customer knows about the product and has enough of a background to be able to brief the customer because if let's say that call goes through or that email gets read. Um, what you don't want is the customer asking like three questions and the person who is calling says, yeah, I don't know about that, but let me get my engineer on the line for you next week uh, so that he can answer those questions for you. And believe it or not, uh, there are still many, many times that uh, it happens and uh, it has happened to me at least one or once or twice a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really, I mean, in, in a busy life, where do you find time to have one conversation, then have a second conversation? You lose confidence in the uh, in the company and the individual if they don't know enough of, about the product to be able to answer basic questions and, and it still happens. So I think that's my, sometimes you get only one chance and you better take that chance. That's my biggest advice. But you're talking about the the first step when, you, when you're getting cold calls, correct? Yep. Yeah, okay. that's, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Okay, got it. Uh, but let's say you're you know you are considering a vendor uh you know for whatever either you know a service or product what it is that you are what is it that you're actually looking for in a vendor yeah so if i was what i'm looking for in a vendor is a match between their statements and what the product has to offer what i'm not looking for is a hype that the product can't meet because uh, as as and we have talked about this in the podcast today um uh the the in a world that is rapidly evolving most CISOs are going to be tech savvy enough to be able to look through your hollow statements if the statements are hollow so you should uh focus on what the product truly has to offer and if there's things on the roadmap um that's that's all right that's completely good because believe it or not we understand that your product is not going to be uh uh, jack of all trades. Uh, there will be some opportunities in it. Uh, anyone who builds a product knows that we build a product. Sometimes there are going to be opportunities in it that will fix over time. Uh, what we are looking for is that degree of trust and transparency. Once the trust is in place, everything else will follow. But if you break the trust by hyping up the product, and uh, when it comes to the actual demo time or actual deep diligence time and those hype is not met by the reality, then uh, you have lost the trust. And then it's really difficult to uh, make yourself 
uh, as an uh, as a trustworthy organization after that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense then? Yes, yes, it does. What's the best way our listeners can connect with you online in a non-intrusive manner? Yeah, I think the um, uh, the, the Twitter, uh, they can find me on Twitter. And I also uh, am on LinkedIn. Um, so they can connect with me on LinkedIn as well. Uh, that would probably be a good starting point. Uh, I also do uh, an occasional... Uh, keynote or uh, speeches and I, and I announce those on uh, my uh, my uh, LinkedIn so uh, keep an eye out for that and I look forward to seeing you there yeah of course I'll I'll follow you right now after our, we finish recording this uh, and for a final question before we wrap this up uh, uh, if money was never an issue would you do anything different with your life or basically what would you do with, with your life Yeah, I, I think perhaps I would, I would answer that question differently. I, I think that maybe the, the question that I would answer is, what are some of your other passions? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I love security and, and I love what I'm doing. So I, I don't know if um, uh, the absence of a lot of money would make a difference and whether I pursue this path or track or not, I would still pursue it. But my other passion, uh, and I'm sure you caught on to this over this podcast, is I love teaching. Uh, that's my, that has always been my very deep passion. Uh, my mother was a professor and, uh, for a very, very long time, so I grew up in a very academic family. And so um, uh, quite a bit of my personality is driven by that very strong desire to share my knowledge. And drive the success of the others and so I will probably end up teaching someday post my CISO uh, career <laughs> uh, but that's my other passion uh, Ben okay yeah. thank you so much for sharing that and with that I want to be respectful of your time I know we're almost out of time here um, so I just wanted to thank you again for taking the time Anand uh, and you know hoping to uh, Keep the connection going and maybe to meet in person one day um, so yeah so thank you again and hopefully you know your insights would uh, would help someone who's just you know either early on in their career or even you know mature enough um, and yeah just thank you again yeah Ben it was a pleasure thank you for taking the time from your busy schedule to talk to me uh, I hope you're listeners find some valuable snippets of the information in our conversation today and uh, yeah uh, we should stay in touch yeah thank you <laughs>